Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte, Creative and Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. We are continuing the series on the road to Emmaus this week. As always, you can help keep this broadcast free by donating online at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. You can also check out our learning site, which has a bunch of other resources such as worksheets and PowerPoints. Don't forget to also share this with your friends uh, on social media or an email or whatever you prefer. And also don't forget to leave us a review. It helps other people find us as well. So with that, here is Michael on the road to Emmaus. Welcome to Evidence for Faith, and I'm glad you're back with me on this lesson series that we're doing, The Road to Emmaus, the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. And as we've been moving through here, we're still in the book of Genesis. And today we're going to be looking at some more prophecies from this, um, this first book of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Genesis. And as we move through this, you're going to just be amazed at how much you see having to do with the Messiah, prophecies concerning Messiah, how you will recognize the Messiah when he comes and found in the book of Genesis. Now, this, this book, which was written by Moses, um, is very old, but the thing is, these prophecies are so key, particularly some of these we're going to mention in this lesson, are so key to identifying the Messiah. And even today, uh, Jews are still, many Jews, uh, unbelieving Jews, still have not recognized all of these prophecies pointing directly to Jesus as the Messiah. Um, as we Christians, we, we understand uh, that Jesus did fulfill these, and we understand that. Messianic Jews, uh, Jews that are Christians and like Jews for Jesus and stuff, they have understood this also, and they are continuing um, in their faith with uh, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. But as we get into this today, we're going to start um, in Genesis chapter 18. And in Genesis chapter 18, so if you're writing in your notebook um, along the taking notes and, and keeping this organized, this would be our fifth prophecy that we have. And this one is Genesis chapter 18, and I'm titling this one, The Appearance of Jesus. The Appearance of Jesus. This is one of these very interesting stories. It's a story that many people uh, learn in Sunday school if they go to Sunday school. Um, you come across this this fabulous story, and it's the appearance of Jesus. Well, actually, it says three visitors come to Abraham, and it's the story of the interaction here, but then there's a prophecy that's made during this time. Now, first of all, let me just point out something. There's three visitors that come to um, to Abraham, and starting off in the first verse, it says, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat in a door, and um, he lifted up his eyes, look, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now, there's a lot right in there. But first of all, this is Abraham being visited by three men. 
on their way, and if you know how the story goes or if you continue reading this, you will see they're on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it um, because of the evil that's going on there. Uh, so on the way, they stop here at, at Abraham's. Um, it's easy to understand that two of these visitors, as the story continues, two of them continue on the journey. When you get to uh, verse 22, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's only two of them now. So the third person does, does not go on, but there's three to start with, two go to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's easy to understand that these two that move on are definitely angels. But this third individual, this third person who is there seems different. Now, there are some theologians that differ as to whom Abraham was talking to. Who is this third person? Um, some say that all three are angels, while others insist that one of them was indeed the Lord, um, pre-incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so, you know, there's the conflict in some denominations on this, uh, where it says in verse 1, though, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Now, where we see the word, the Lord appeared. Now, I want to tell you something about how many translations are put together. Now, if you read the preface of your translation, I know most people don't even know their Bibles generally have a preface. Uh, it might be something that they read when sermons are really boring or something. But um, I always, whenever I, I get a different translation, um, just yesterday I, was, I received a phone call from a person asking me about a specific translation. Um, and they said, what can you tell me about this? Is this a good translation? And uh, I went through and explained simple things about the translation, how they, they put it together. They use Greek manuscripts and the Hebrew manuscripts and, and things as trying to put this thing together as close as possible, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, as I told them, you know, there's there's some certain things you want to know about certain translations. And in many of our translations, when you see the word Lord, L-O-D, L-O-R-D, when you see the word Lord, I want you to notice that sometimes all four letters are capitalized. Sometimes just the first letter is capitalized, and then the three following letters, O-R-D, are in lowercase. And that's not done by random. There's a purpose for that. You see, in most translations, like the English Standard is one of these that does this, that when you have capitals, all the letters are capitals, uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means that it is actually the word uh, or the name of God, which commonly people call Yahweh, though it's never pronounced like that. Um, but that would be, maybe it's closer to Yehovah or something. It's like breath sounds. Of course, Jews were never allowed to say it because it's so holy. But that is the name of God um, that God tells him in Exodus 3.14 when Moses asked, what's your name? That's the name. And so most of us associate that's the holy name of God. But when you see a capital L, lowercase o-r-d, that is usually another name of God being used in the text. Um, very commonly, it's the name Adonai. Now, in this passage here, what we're seeing in verse 1, um, as we go through here, it says, the Lord. And if you're using an English translation, English Standard Version, you'll see that it is all capitals. As a matter of fact, 
in verses 10, verse 13, verse 14, verse 17, verse 19, verse 20, verse 22, verse 26, and verse uh, 33 all have the capital uh, name of God, meaning the Yeva, uh, Yahweh, if you will, the Lord himself, his titled name. Where, when you look at verses 27, 30, 31, and 32, it's a capital L, but then the lowercase letters follow. That is, um, going back to the, to the Hebrew, that's the name Adonai, which means sovereign Lord. So you have that distinction here. Now, as it says at the beginning of this, the Lord, that is in capitals, thus that is all dealing with the name uh, Yehovah or Yahweh, that is what is being described. So that's one reason we know that one of the visitors does appear to be the Lord God himself. It is um, in, in human form, so this would be a pre-incarnate form of Jesus. And that's a major point for it right there. And plus these other verses, as I mentioned, referring to the all capitals. Um, another thing that we see is the, um, the method Abraham used to honor these three. And if you look at verse 22, uh, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord, stood before the Lord. Um, and in other aspects of in this chapter of what we see, it says back in verse 2 that he bowed down. And, and these are acts of honor. To bow down is the word worship. And basically, it's one of the words that we have for worship is to bow down at the feet of someone. Um, no, it doesn't mean sing choruses. Uh, that's not what the word worship means. It means to totally humble and literally means to bow down and in humility before the, the one before you. And Abraham does this. Now, at other times when angels appear and people start to bow down to the angels, the angels stop them and say, hey, don't bow down to me. Um, that's, that's not allowed. I'm, I'm not the Lord. Only God deserves that. So we see Abraham actually um, using references of worship uh, to one of the three characters. So we see this, and this, who is, is standing before him, I do believe, is definitely God in the flesh. Um, but it's a pre-incarnate form that Jesus appears. And this does happen a couple of times. I think the, the term for this is theophany, and this is the theophany. This is Jesus actually appearing. So he is here at this point with him. And then you get to verse 18, um, and it says here, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, there's the prophecy right there again. It's a repeated prophecy. Boy, when God says something, we always want to listen. When he repeats himself a second time, we better really listen. He repeats himself a third time. Boy, we really need to take note of this. Um, and so that's what's going on because it says all nations of the earth will be blessed through him, which is just like an earlier uh, prophecy and covenant that God made with Abraham. So that is the prophecy that you see in chapter 18. Now, with that, let's go to number six. Number six is going to be in Genesis chapter 25. So need you, if you're following along, to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 25. 
And there's another familiar Bible story. Isn't it interesting all these Bible stories we learned in Sunday school um, and maybe bedtime stories and stuff if you read books like that? Um, how many of these things are actually prophecies dealing with the Messiah? Yeah, we never told our kids this. Um, now, this one here, Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34, is the lost birthright. That's what I'm calling this one, the lost birthright. You probably know the story as we begin here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here is another announcement of the lineage dealing with the Messiah. That's what seems a lot of these prophecies right now are. God is telling us, this is the lineage because he's starting off. The human population is not that large, um, and he's pointing out the direction of which he's going to be using um, a genealogy for the Messiah to come. And this is another one in the announcement of the lineage of the Messiah. This passage, again, returns to the prophecy that he's going to be coming. The Messiah will be coming from the family of Abraham. In this case, now, Abraham... Um, has grandsons. Um, it's Jacob and Esau. Uh, they are the key players in this. Esau was the oldest, and by law, because he's the firstborn, he was to be provided with the basic birthright. That's at least a double inheritance from the father. That's what it was. The oldest son gets this, a double inheritance, the birthright. So by tradition, Esau was supposed to be the most blessed of the two um, uh, sons of, of Isaac here. Uh, but, but God had another plan. And he told Isaac's wife, Rebekah, that her younger son, Jacob, would be the ruler over the oldest son. Now, that is very unheard of, but that's what God set up. And God is the one calling the shots here, so he can do this. Now, if you look at verse um, 23... Uh, it says, the two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And that's verse 23. Now, that's really interesting because it's saying that the younger is going to be the honored one. Um, in other words, God's um, this is fulfilling God's blessing to Abraham, but this blessing is going to come through the younger one, Jacob, and not Esau. So God is blessing him and um, that in fulfilling what he told Abraham back in Genesis 12, 3, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you, all families of the earth, everyone, because of you, because the Messiah is going to come through you. But it's not going to go through, it goes through Isaac, but it doesn't go through Esau. It goes through Jacob. Jacob. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> Jacob is a schemer. Um, I mean, that's what his name basically means. He's a schemer. He, he's uh, a sort of a dishonest person. Um, he took matters into his own hands to secure what God had promised him. So he tricks his brother, as you know how the story goes. Isaac is getting old. He can't see. He wants um, a meal, so he orders out, and his two sons go get the meal. And uh, Ab or, uh, Jacob dresses up and pretends to be Esau and to get the father's blessing, Isaac's blessing. And, and it works out like that. That's what happens. He tricked his brother, first of all, into giving him his birthright. That happened before this, where um, Esau was hungry and Jacob was cooking a meal. And he says, hey, that looks pretty good. I want some of that. Well, give me your, your birthright and I'll give it to you. So we, we get that story taking place. And then we have this, this lost birthright here too. Now, we know all this to be true concerning Esau. 
Um, he is not God's favorite here because um, he's just not close to God. Uh, Jacob isn't either, but God has appointed Jacob to be the one who's going to be getting the um, the uh, birthright and who the Messiah will come from. And we see this. If you go back to the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, you're going to see how the genealogy runs, and it runs through Jacob. Um, for though his uh, Esau's line is still in existence today, he, Esau's line is still there. The world has never been blessed by him, and it never will be blessed by him. More, more or less, more conflict comes from descendants of Esau uh, to the Jews than anything else. And we can learn a lesson about this. If God has promised us something, let's not be like Jacob and try to resort to trickery or illusions uh, or false witness to obtain it. If God wants you to have something, you're going to get it. Uh, if it's in his will, he will provide it for you. Don't go out trying to scheme your way into things. So many people I have seen in, throughout my life have tried to get advancements in, in careers and in, um, in their jobs and all sorts of things in, in life by scheming. And that is not what we're supposed to do. That's dishonesty. Um, just let God uh, be in control. Let him control everything. And in this case here, God would have figured out a way. I mean, he had it already figured out. It's not going to figure out a way. God already had designed a plan, but Jacob goes ahead and he just messes things up. Of course, God already knew it was going to happen this way. But Jacob is a schemer. Instead of relying, sitting back and letting God uh, fulfill his promises, he misses blessings doing that. Do you catch this? When we go around, God's got a plan for you. And if we go around, we try and mess it up. We mess up the blessing a lot of times that God can give us through um, his choice of doing things for us. So let's not mess up the blessing. Um, let's just, if, if when you see opportunity comes, what I'm saying is do not do dishonest things to get ahead. Let God move you in the direction. It might take many years because that's his timing. Um, don't be impatient. Well, it's hard for us to, as humans to not be impatient. But too often we get impatient and we try and force God's hand. That, is, that just never works out well. Um, we still might get the blessing, as Jacob did here, but it, it causes him a lot of anguish and a lot of pain and a lot of, of problems. And we see this so often throughout the Bible when people sort of force the hand of God. And it's, it's not a good thing. So we should learn from this. So if you're in a job situation right now or trying to advance yourself into a career or trying to get some job or something like that, listen, God's already got everything planned out for you. If he wants you to have this, he's going to have it fall in your lap. Um, I have been in a situation where for a few years I was not feeling like this is, uh, I was where I needed to be, where, where God wanted me to be. And I spent a lot of time in, in, um, in prayer about it and has had other people praying about this too in certain situations. Uh, for Well, I'll just be frank, in this Evidence for Faith ministry. Um, I had some churches come up to me and ask me before I accepted uh, this new ministry to launch this ministry, I had some churches come up and ask if I would be interested in being their senior pastor. Wow. Now, some people, they just crave to be the senior pastor of a church. I don't really crave that. Um, 
I don't really crave to be the the top dog in situations. Um, even when I taught school for years, um, I never had ambitions to be a principal. Never wanted to be a principal. Um, I'll be. A, I told some schools I'll be your department head, but I don't want to be the principal. I want to be in the classroom. That's where I work the best is with students in the classroom. I don't care about power. I'm not into that. But um, I always do my best, and some people see me as I do my best because I'm doing it, as it says in Colossians 3.17 and 3.23, that whatever you do, you do it as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you always do your best, and we Christians should always be doing that. So in every little job I had, I always tried to do the best I could, not because my boss, trying to impress my boss. I'm trying to impress the Lord Jesus Christ because this is for him that I'm doing this. And colleagues and people who have worked with me have seen this and they think, oh boy, Michael's really just trying to get ahead. He's trying to make everybody else look bad. He's trying to, to promote himself. Uh, not true. Uh, people who know me deeply, when I have said this about some people, uh, they just like, are you kidding? <laughs> Don't they know you? You don't seem to ever have an ambition to be the leader of something. I don't. If God wants me to be in a leadership, I'm going to get there. I don't have to go around promoting myself. Matter of fact, most of the jobs that I've got or I've had in my life, I didn't go around promoting, trying to get those. God blessed my teaching career tremendously. I have over two dozen teaching awards, both from schools, uh, universities, uh, state awards, even a national uh, national awards. And the thing is, I never went after any of those. They were always given to me. Parents, other teachers, students put me in for things like this. I didn't have the ambition to do that. I was more busy just trying to teach and be the best teacher I can to give glory to God. See, don't be like Jacob. Jacob is just the opposite of this. Ooh, I want to be the leader. I want to be the one in charge here. So I'm going to scheme my way through it. Well, I think God wants me to be in this position. That's why he's given me these gifts. I'm going to help God along. Listen, you don't need to help God. Just as we see this prophecy here, yes, but we can also learn a very good spiritual lesson here, a faith lesson that we can just let God do the moving. And in this case, um, I was feeling like uh, for the last few years working in a camp in northern Wisconsin, I was feeling like I'm not um, doing everything I should be doing. And I felt like God had more out there for me. And I wanted to work more for God, but I wasn't getting the opportunities as much as I I really wanted. But instead of, and, and this is when churches would come and say, hey, you're not getting used too much here. How about coming and being our senior pastor? We love to listen to you uh, preach and teach. But I turned him down because I didn't feel like that was what God wanted me to do. I felt that something else. And then evidence for faith comes up, and voila, that was like God's answer to prayer. I had a great peace about this and move forward. Though I am in charge of this ministry, um, we have a committee that meets together. I don't make all the decisions. I, I want to get as much input as possible. I, um, I, am not, <laughs> I am not a tyrant. I am not a dictator. Um, I am not a micromanager. I never have been, even when I was uh, department heads at school. I always wanted to get the most, uh, I, I put a committee of people with me to help guide me in decisions and stuff and using a lot of prayer. So, yeah, I went on a long tangent there, but I think there is a faith lesson that's important there. Let God do it. I didn't force God's hand trying to get me into some other type of ministry. I sat back and I'll tell you, it is irritating. It really is. Sometimes just sitting there waiting for God to open up a door. 
and you're sitting in a small room and there's no windows open, there's no doors open, the doors even have locks and bars on them, and you're like, wow, God, what have you got for me? Well, that's a time where you sort of, and if you're going through something like this, this is when you just spend some time talking with God. Get close to God. Don't get mad. Just okay. Um, I don't understand why you're doing it this way, but obviously you feel we need to spend some more time just one-on-one. Let's do that. And then all of a sudden, in God's timing, the locks come off, the door opens up, and there you go. Now, sometimes he might shut that door right away and say, you know, I was testing you, but um, a lot of times he just opens up the door. And that's what I've pretty much seen throughout my life. God just opens the door in the situations. Well, let's move into the next thing. That was that was getting a little bit too elaborate on our discussion here, and I don't really want to do that. Let's go to number seven. So if you're taking notes, this is number seven. This is a fascinating one. I love this one. This is so cool. Um, another Bible story we read all the time. It's a bedtime story. Oh, my God. This is a great bedtime story. Um, it's Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Now, if you have your Bibles and you're opening to this, um, there's a couple of things going on in this chapter. I want to focus on what happens starting in verse 10 and um, going through uh, the, the rest of the chapter. And it's commonly called Jacob's dream. I'm calling this, though, the ladder. The ladder. The L-A-D-D-E-R. Um, so the ladder. That's the title of number seven. And in Genesis 28, as I said, we come across the famous story, a beautiful story of Jacob having a dream at Bethel. Now, first of all, just let me tell you something. The, the word Bethel, which is a place here, it's a noun, it means house um, of God, house of God. Be'et is um, the first part of this, like the suffix part of the word. Be'et is house. El is a name um, meaning uh, a word meaning God. So the house of God is what we have here. And so that's where this is events taking place. Now I want to focus um, on verses 12 and 13 of Genesis 28. Verses 12 and 13. So if you follow along with me, it says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, where <laughs> is there a messianic prophecy in here? Oh, this is so cool. You see, this is an analogy of the of the coming of the Messiah and what the function of the Messiah is going to be. You see, there's a ladder set up between earth, between where man is and heaven where God is. So there's a ladder. There's a connection between the two. Um, this ladder between earth and heaven, uh, or more specifically, we should just say between man and God. Now, the Messiah is going to come and be the mediator between God the Father and man. In other words, what's in between here is a ladder. Now, the ladder is the means of which it says in the passage here that angels are ascending and descending. Angels ascending and descending. What are they doing? They, angels carry messages, and so they're communicating 
between God the Father and man. So there's communication occurring between God and man. And we're going to see that this is going to be Jesus himself. This is the Messiah himself. In the dream, the angel's going up and down. Well, let's just stop here for a second. The word angel, malach, malach is the Hebrew word here. Malach means messenger. Angel means messenger, one who delivers a message, um, uh, wording of God, delivers the word of God. That's what we're talking about here. So what's going up and down the ladder are messages. Messages coming from the Father down to earth. Um, these messengers come, messengers are coming directly from God, carrying a message, message coming from God. To what? To man. Thus, these are mediators between, this ladder is the mediator between God and man. These uh, and the mediator is carrying messages. Now, what did Jesus do? God, Jesus is God in the flesh. The Messiah is God in the flesh, and he's coming and speaking messages directly to man. Jesus is the latter. He will be the ultimate source of messages from God. The Messiah, if you got it now, the Messiah is the latter, and he is, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of this because Jesus comes as the spokesperson giving messages from God. We have a mediator between us, and that's what this is. That's that prophecy number seven. Um, let's go one more here. Let's try and get into uh, our eighth one before we finish. And this one here is number eight. If you're taking notes, this is Genesis again. We're in uh, in this case, it's chapters 29 and 30. So chapters 29 and 30. So yes, this one's a little longer. I'm not going to read all of chapter 29 and chapter 30. I will give you a little bit of the, the rundown of what's taking place here. Um, if you've sat through Sunday school, you'll know these stories here. The, um, but what this is entitled, what I'm calling this one, is the Messianic Line Established. Oh boy, we're back in the lineage. Yes, the messianic line established. And this one is really interesting. I remember the first time I taught this with the youth group, they were just blown away like, wow, I never caught this before. Yeah, that's sort of interesting. This has to do with Jacob's marriages to Leah and Rachel and also to Bilhah and Zilpha. And so we have this marriage and resulting of children. So these two chapters are very interesting because they list the birth orders of Jacob's children. Now, as we just mentioned before, uh, earlier in this lesson, the firstborn son is always the honored one. And so he gets double portion, he gets the birthright. Um, and then the sons proceeding after in numerical order can often, would often get um, their inheritance. Um, but if the first son dies, then the second one would get the inheritance, uh, the, the, the birthright, I mean, and it continue like this. Well, as you know, Jacob has a lot of kids. Um, being the son of Isaac and the son of whom the Messiah would come, we need to know these children and how this relates to the Messiah. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to make uh, space here for four columns. We're going to make four short columns on your paper. So if you draw a line and I want you to write uh, for the title of each column, we're going to have Leah's sons. That is going to be 
the first column. The second column is going to be Rachel's sons. Then we're going to have Bilhah, Bilhah's sons. And then finally, we're going to have in the fourth column, uh, Zilpah, Zilpah's sons. So we have the four columns here. Now, if you're if you read through the passage, um, I'm just going to give it to you in numerical order, and you can just fill these in. What I suggest is write down the name and then put behind it in parentheses the number so you can keep track of the birth order of, of these kids because this is important. So the first one, this will be under Leah's son. We're going to write the firstborn is Reuben. So write down Reuben. He is the firstborn son. So Reuben and in parentheses number one. Leah has a second son uh, right away, and that's Simeon. So Simeon, just put that one right underneath Reuben, which is underneath Leah's category here in her column. You have Simeon, and in parentheses, number two. Then she gets pregnant again, and we have, um, in this case, Levi. Levi is the third-born son. So Levi, and in parentheses, then, of course, number three. Then Leah gets pregnant again, and this time it is Judah. Judah is the fourth-born. So way down the list. He's the fourth-born, so a number four. Now, the thing is, we need to go to a different column for the fifth-born. You've got to go to Bilhah. Bilhah's um, son, is her firstborn is Dan. Dan, and so in parentheses it would be a number five. Bilhah has a son named Dan. Then, after this, Bilhah gets pregnant again by Jacob and has another son, Naphtali. Naphtali um, is number six, so in parentheses you're going to write six under that one. So that's Naphtali, the sixth-born son. Then, um, Zilpah has the next son of Jacob. So you're over on the fourth column now, and it's Zilpah. Her son, she names Gad. Gad, parentheses, number seven. And then she gets pregnant again. And this time, Asher is born. So Asher, parentheses, number eight, the eighth son. Then, um, and yes, there's girls being born in this nest here, but we're in this genealogy, but we're just concerning on the, um, the, the boys. So now we're going to go back over to Leah, and because the ninth-born son is going to be from Leah, and his name is Issachar. Issachar is the ninth-born. So write that name in parentheses, number nine, and then she gets pregnant again, and it has the tenth son of Jacob, and that's uh, Zebulun. Zebulun is number 10. So we have that one. It seems like <laughs> Rachel's not having any sons, and that's exactly what happened until the 11th comes. Rachel gets um, uh, pregnant and has birth, and she gives birth to the 11th son. That one's name is Joseph. So we have Joseph. And then she is pregnant again, and she gives birth to Benjamin and he is the twelfth. And with that, Jacob's done having sons from his four wives here. So Benjamin is number 12. So Leah ended up having, if you got it correct, she has six sons, and then the other wives all have two each. 
so it comes out to be 12. Now, remember I told you that the oldest son gets the birthright and is the honored son, if you will. But Jesus, if you remember the Christmas story and stuff, Jesus is born from the tribe of Judah. That's the fourth one. Why? Why did Reuben, why is he not honored with the birthright? Because he doesn't get the birthright. What happened? He was the oldest. The birthright should have gone to him. And the blessing for the coming Messiah, fulfilling the promise of Abraham, uh, should come you know, through Reuben, but it doesn't. Why wasn't Reuben blessed? There's a very good reason. Because in Genesis 3, or I'm sorry, Genesis 35, 22, we see a very dark moment happen where Reuben uses very poor judgment. And not just him, um, because it says, while Israel, that's Jacob, lived in that land. While Jacob was in the land, Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. He sleeps with his, one of the wives of his um, of his uh, dad. That's really wrong. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. Sleeping with like your stepmom here. Huge mistake. And because of this, this lack of judgment on these two, uh, particularly on Reuben, that's the reason God does not bless him as being the ancestor of the Messiah. That's it. Jacob even tells us this in this passage. So that removes Reuben. Well, wait a minute. Now it should be Simeon. And well, why didn't uh, the Messiah come from the tribe of Simeon? It doesn't. And it doesn't come from the tribe of Levi either. So what happens that Simeon and Levi um, do that Jacob does not bless them with the birthright? Well, again, another dark moment in the Bible. That's one thing that's really unique about the Bible. God doesn't sugarcoat stuff. He shows the flaws of mankind, of people. Writings of other cultures, ancient cultures, you hardly ever read about anything that they do wrong or any dark matters and stuff about them. They sort of skip over that. Not the Bible. The Bible brings it into focus so that we can learn from these. But in this case, in Genesis chapter 34, we see another dark moment of Jacob's family. It just so happens, as I said, Jacob just doesn't have sons. He has daughters. One of his daughters that... um, is born to him is a girl he names uh, Dinah. Dinah is out one day walking around and she is spotted by a guy named Shechem. This is recorded Genesis 34 and Shechem sees this foxy chicky babe walking through the the, the land there um, and Shechem is the prince of the area. He's, he's a prince and um, what's he do? He goes over and he rapes her. Yeah, it's not a good moment. Dinah gets raped by Shechem. But the thing is, in this case, Shechem falls in love with Dinah and wants to marry her. Jacob allows this marriage to take place. He doesn't do anything to punish uh, Shechem or his family or anything like that and he allows the marriage to take place. This upsets some members of the family, and we see this happening in numerous times in the Bible. The family gets upset by this crime and this humiliation that goes unpunished. I mean, rape is not an honorable thing. It is disgusting. It's a violent crime, and 
So after the wedding takes place, Simeon and his brother Levi take revenge for their sister. They go into the town at nighttime and they slaughter the entire male population of the village. They kill them all. Everybody in Shechem, including Shechem and his father, Hamor, who was the king of that village, they kill them all. Jacob is very upset by this, but not just upset, he's fearful because they only killed the male population. So there's witnesses and he is very fearful of this. And for this reason, um, he, um, plus he's very upset by the murders committed by his two sons. So his way of getting back at him was to remove the birthright because after Reuben, it should have gone to Simeon and then from him to Levi and it doesn't go to either one. So um, that's where the fourth one born now is Judah. Judah gets the birthright. And if you go to the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, you're going to see indeed Jesus, Jesus is a descendant of Judah. And we're going to see some more things having to do with that, uh, particularly when we get to the tabernacle, that is just absolutely amazing. But our time is up here for our lesson today, and I hope you've enjoyed this. And as we've looked through some of these fascinating prophecies. Um, We're not done with the book of Genesis. We have a couple more to go, and we'll finish it in the next lesson, God willing. But I want to thank you for joining, and I hope you have have learned something from this and um, just being amazed at how the Bible, the Old Testament, is still so important for us to know and to know these messianic prophecies. So thank you for your prayers for our ministry. Uh, I ask that you continue to pray for us. Uh, that Satan, who is constantly at, at war with us, he's always trying to put us down and trying to, to hurt us. And we ask for his uh, for protection from him, that the Holy Spirit will protect us. And we also um, can always use more support to help us get the word of God out. Um, it costs a little bit to, to put out documents and things and um, podcasts and to pay for all the equipment. But um, if, if you can't, that's fine. That's, that's fine. Uh, God is the one who's in charge of everything, and he'll supply it. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it. But I do ask, too, if you've got any comments or praises or prayers you would like us to know about, please um, let us know on our website, and we'll get back to you. Until we meet again, take care, and God bless. hope you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give and help us keep this broadcast free. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you'd like to hear Michael live, you can check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org. And on that note, this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.